Good morning. Good morning. Well, I just want to introduce our youngest attender this morning. Dana and Abe, why don't you stand and uh, let's, uh, let's welcome Forrest. Thanks, guys. Yeah, we've been praying for us. was in the hospital for a day for had minor surgery. We're so glad he's doing better. But welcome. We welcome. Mark chapter 7. Turn to your Bibles to Mark chapter 7 this morning. Just kind of recap from two weeks ago as we were talking about tradition. There are three dangers to our traditions of church attendance or are we call religion. Um, I asked our small groups a couple weeks ago to, to list, you know, some traditions we were raised with, and were they biblically based, or are they just man's traditions? Not necessarily bad things, but things that uh, the Word of God does not give us direction on, but we have added to our particular faith or religion. Our first danger, we remember, was tradition can lead to hypocritical worship. Saying one thing, doing another the Pharisees were good that Jesus addressed that to them. He says, this people, the Pharisees, honor me with their mouth or their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain they do worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. So the Pharisees were good at lip service. Hey, I'm going to church, I'm doing this. But their life did not reflect that outside of church. Many of us find ourselves in that category at times where we say one things, but we live a different way or we worship a different. Two, traditions leads to vain worship. I call this check, checklist Christianity. There's a list of things that all growing up, you if I did this, 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 and this, I'm a good Christian. There's no heart in that. We forgot our purpose. We forgot why we do these things, whether it's Bible reading, which is important, whether it's prayer, whether it's church attendance. We do it because it's on a checklist, but we forgot the purpose of the reason we do these things. It becomes, becomes vain. And lastly, we learn this idea that tradition can lead to God's word being void. Meaning, the Pharisees had this new rule and regulation. Remember, the law says, honor your father and mother. Take care of your parents. Well, the, the Pharisees said, well, listen, I give all my money to God, so therefore, I don't need to help my parents. They made another rule or tradition that they followed. It went against God's law. We talked a little bit about the tradition of, of sprinkling. Remember, 13th century, the Catholics stopped immersing, immersing, baptism by immersion, and they started sprinkling because of what? Because of convenience, okay? Well, is sprinkling wrong? In and of itself, sprinkling is not a sin. It's not wrong, but that's not what God told us to do. So sometimes man-made traditions make God's word void. Like, did God really say that? Well, we're doing this because this is important, and forgetting what God's law says. So it brings us to the end of Mark chapter 7. There are just some dangers of traditionalism that we need to watch out for as a church. Again, I'm going to beat this like a dead horse. The book of Mark shows Jesus the servant of all servants. He is here to, be, to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. If you don't know yet, the key verse to Mark is Mark 10.45. He states his purpose. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So we, we understand when someone says, what's the book of Mark? What's, how, what's the camera angle of the book of Mark? Well, how are they looking at Jesus? Jesus, the suffering servant. He's here to serve and minister. So let's look at verse 24. Mark 7, look at verse 24 this morning. 
And we're going we're to expound this text. There's, there's just a couple verses, but we're going to look at these stories and we're going to expound on them and pull some application out of them this morning that we can take with us this week and live our lives serving the Lord. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet could not be hidden. If remember, Jesus, everywhere Jesus went, throngs of people followed Jesus, right? Everywhere. Remember, I gave the illustration of Beatlemania back in 1964. Some of you ladies remember those years. Oh, Paul, yeah, yeah, right? Jesus was followed. When Jesus came to town, hey, Jesus is here. And people came. People came. Jesus wanted to get away. Here's a, a, a beautiful picture. Jesus wanted to get away, not be seen, be with his disciples. But it says there he could not be hidden. Well, we see a map here. This gives us an idea of where Tyre and Sidon is compared to Jerusalem, 35 miles north of Galilee. It's really interesting. We think of discipleship, that one-on-one um, connection with an individual. Jesus had a lot of time in connecting with his disciples, walking everywhere, connecting with his disciples, probably having fun together. Think of a bunch of guys getting together, going to a men's retreat. It's a time of spiritual contact, of spiritual learning, but you have some fun, Right? You have some fun. Jesus and the disciples probably were no different when it came to them traveling day to day, different places, getting to know one another. Remember, Jesus here now is going to another Gentile area. I'll come into point here in a few moments. See, Jesus always had followers following him around. And he could not hide, he could not rest today. He just couldn't. He was not hidden. I want us to put ourselves in maybe in Jesus' shoes at this moment. Maybe imagine how he was feeling. Just list some things of, we, of what we have read about in Mark. He, he was rejected by his hometown. Okay. Two, he had, didn't have the opportunity to, to grieve his cousin's death, John the Baptist, who was beheaded. That was his cousin. He healed, he healed and he, he cast out demons of probably hundreds if not thousands. He sees a never-ending stream of suffering of humanity everywhere he goes. People just coming in for all their, their help, their sickness, and always trying to get confronted by the Pharisees. Those, 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 those guys, you just want to, man, what are these guys doing? Always trying to trick Jesus. Well, luckily, as we read the first part of Mark 7, he won that first confrontation, showing them their true hearts. Perhaps Jesus at this point is exhausted, probably tired physically, full of sadness and frustration, just desperate for a moment just to rest and relax. We can read through the Gospels of times where Jesus got in a boat, went away for a couple days to be by himself, to get strength from his Father. Perhaps if we use the vernacular of today, he's like really stressed out at this moment in ministry. See, we certainly allow ourselves to get in that situation. Overworked, exhausted, this unprocessed emotion we have at times, on the verge of just blowing our top. You've been there, maybe this week, holidays, you know, family, we get to that point, there's times where we offend people, we say things we shouldn't, we get to the end of our rope, we're barely hanging on, but Jesus, who is the perfect son of God, could not sin, but in his humanity, he had feelings. He cried, he, he was hungry, he, he, he had those emotions we have. Why? Because in, in Philippians 2, we have this hypostatic union. Jesus is 100% God, yet 100% man. But that didn't stop him because he pushed through knowing what his purpose was. No matter how difficult the road was for Jesus, 
He continued to love people and serve people. The lost, the forgotten, the downcast. This is who he was ministering to. Remember that. How about us? Do we look at the example of Jesus as we're walking through the book of Mark here? These aren't just, aren't just stories. It's easy just to leave here and just, oh, that's a great message, and walk away, and nothing changes in our life. Are we truly looking at the example that Jesus is showing here? It's a way of life. It's a life of caring for those who are forgotten, those who are downtrodden. And why? Why is he? Because he's giving them hope. He's showing them the light. He's showing them a way to heaven, a way to the sun. Let me ask you a question. What is your purpose for living? When you're tired, when you don't feel like doing things, when you don't feel like going to church, when you don't feel like ministering to people, where do we turn? What do we do? Do we just shut things off? Or do we continue pushing through understanding what our purpose is as Christians here on this world? Maybe some of us are like the Pharisees. We just provide lip service. Oh, hallelujah, raise your hands and worship. Great, awesome, you come in Sunday morning. But Monday morning, you're back in work and you're much like a Pharisee. Your language, your actions, the things you say, where you go, reflects nothing as a follower of Jesus. I hope that's not the case. As we look at the life of Jesus in the Gospels, we need to understand Jesus, the one word we can see with Jesus is service ministry, serving one another. Is that our aim and our goal and our purpose as Christians? I hope it is. Again, these just aren't fun stories that we learn in Sunday school. I want us to get application for this. There's a reason why they're in the Bible for us to learn from. That was just the first verse. Okay, let's go on to verse 25. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit, she was demon-possessed, heard of him, heard of Jesus, and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician. I want you to work, circle the word Syrophoenician. She was Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Okay, so there's a few things. So when we talk about expositional preaching, we expound on a text. That's what we're doing this morning. We're expounding on this text. We're going to look at culture. We're going to look at history. We're going to look at word meanings. We're going to look at see what Jesus and this woman, and, and of course eventually the deaf and mute man, what was going on here. First thing, she was, she was Syrophoenician. Does that mean anything to you? It, it probably doesn't. It didn't mean anything to me either. She was a Gentile. Actually, Syrophoenician, Syrophoenician we would have to go back to Judges chapter 2. And there is a group of people by the, called the Canaanites. Now the lights are going off. Israel and Canaanites, yeah, they, that, just, that was oil and water. You see, Syrophoenicians were ancestors of Canaanites. Judges 2 gives us a picture. Joshua allotted the land before he passed. He conquered the promised land. He allotted 12 lots of land to the 12 tribes of Israel. And what did he, what did he demand? What did he tell the nation of Israel? Listen, cast, take out the inhabitants of the land. This is your land. Don't let them in. Well, we read Judges 2. And Manasseh took their portion of land. And Judah and Ephraim and Naphtali but they failed to drive out the inhabitants of the land. And guess who were some of those inhabitants? The Canaanites. And the Canaanites made their way through, and here we read them in the New Testament, as Syrophoenicians. Isn't that great history? So you know that now? Canaanites, judges to put that in your Bible. See, Jews labeled this group of people as dogs. Gentiles to, for, to the Jews were dogs, Syrophoenicians, Canaanites. You're a dog. 
I want, I want you to keep that in the back of your mind because we're going to talk about that in a few moments. It says there that she begged him. Now, now there's a couple of things, there's two things we need to understand when we read this story. See, we put this in our culture. Okay, she talked to him. Okay, that's what we do in our, our society. That's not what happened in the New Testament culture. First things first. One, she was a woman. She should not have approached a man in public. It was a no-no. See, today, it, it doesn't matter. Women, you, we talk to men. We all talk to each other. It's not, it's not something that is that's looked down upon. It hasn't been for, for years. But in this culture, first thing, woman did not talk to a man in public. Number two, a Gentile, a Canaanite, a Syrophoenician, did not talk to a man. If, if we remember the story of John chapter 4 with the woman at the well, remember that conversation. And the, the woman at the well was like, okay, why are you talking to me here? Why? Because that did not happen in culture. That was not permitted at this time. So this is the first thing we see about this woman. She was taking all kind of risk to talk to Jesus, a Jewish man. Another picture I want us to look at is the disciples. What were the disciples doing here in Mark 7? Well, you read nothing about the disciples in the, in the account of Mark 7. However, so we have to go to Matthew's camera angle of the story. So if you look at Matthew chapter 15, verses 23 and 24, he brings in the disciples. Matthew's account brings in the disciples. So look at Matthew 15, 23, and 24, and here is what Matthew says the disciples were doing. But he did not answer her a word. So when the woman begged for healing of her daughter, he didn't answer a word. And his disciples came and begged him, send her away, for she is crying out after us. Can you see the picture here? The disciples were begging Jesus. They see the woman approach him. Okay, Jesus, Jesus. No, 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 no. Let's go, let's go, let's go. We do not want to deal with this woman right here. No, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. The disciples are trying to push Jesus away from this woman. But look what Jesus said to her in verse 27. So we're back in Mark 7. Look at verse 27. So this is a woman that she wanted to, the woman wanted to approach Jesus. The disciples wanted nothing to do with her. I think we have to, before we hit Mark 7, Jesus answered the, 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 the disciples there in Matthew. So let me, let me go back there. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus is confirming with the disciples. Jesus, the disciples are like, listen, we don't want to talk to her. She, she's a prophet. She's a Gentile. She's Syrophoenician. Let's just, she's begging. She's making a scene. Let's go. You, don't, you want to be hidden? We don't want to talk to her. And Jesus kind of confirms in his next statement, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Confirming, like, yeah, I, 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 I don't need to talk to her. But he talked to her, and we go to Mark 7, verse 27. He says this, and he said, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Okay, when we read this face value, I don't know what you were thinking, but it's like, wow, that's kind of harsh, Jesus. That's a little unkind. See, Jesus reminded the disciples, listen, I, he was here for the lost sheep of Israel. He was here for the Jewish people. He had come to offer his own people a kingdom that was prophesied centuries before by King David. Thus, it was inappropriate for a blessing to be brought upon the Gentiles if the blessing had not been received by the nation of Israel. But this woman was not discouraged at all. She's seen in Jesus the only chance for a child to be healed. And she says, Jesus, please heal my daughter. 
So as we look at this story, there's, there's two pillars of biblical interpretation, or the theological term is biblical hermeneutics, the interpretation of scripture. Now, growing up, <laughs> when I was in elementary school, we had to do book reviews or book reports. I hated those things. I did, and I, my grades showed that I hated it as well. I would usually take a, the back of a book and just do the summary of what the author, uh, th- this is my book, Jason, that's not really what the book is about, but uh, th- th- that's what the guy says it is, I'm just kind of using his words. So sometimes in, in, in Bible interpretation, we do the same thing, we kind of listen to someone else says, and we, oh yeah, that's, that's what that text means, but we have to dive in and dig in and find out what the text is meaning to us today. There's two pillars. First is context. What is the context that Jesus is telling this woman that, listen, I don't throw foods, to, I don't feed the dog before I feed my children? Sounds pretty harsh, but in context, it doesn't. We're going to see that this morning. Context in this story is family table, friends, loved ones. Today, you're going to go home and you're sit around a lunch table with your family, with your friends, your loved ones. Tonight's small group, you will gather together with believers in Christ. You have a time of food and fellowship. You will have a time of fellowship of with loved ones, people that you are doing life with. The context of this story is this. Jesus is referring to a table with children around it. So it's a family setting. The second pillar of hermeneutics or interpretation is this, is language. We must look at language. And there's a word here that kind of bothers us because we know what the Jews thought of the Gentiles, and that's the word dog. Okay, so there's the, the Greek word, there's, there's two words that the Greeks use for dog. First is kuon. Kuon, and that, and that word means it's a, sa- a scavenger, a beast, unfit, a dirty animal. We really don't understand that in our culture today. I know when Pastor Mike and I were in the Philippines, in the Philippines, dogs were like squirrels here. They're just running all over the place. I was preaching one Sunday at the church there. A dog came up the center aisle. I'm like, God, oh, this is a first. Wow. You know, but in that culture, we, they understand it. Dogs were scavengers. That's kuon. That's what the Jews called the Samaritans. That's what they referenced them as. However, there's, there, there's another word, and it's kunadion. Kunadion, which means your house pets. The little puppy, the, the, the dog that's part of your family. How many of you have taken family photos with your dogs? Raise your hands. Yes, uh, exactly. I know Dane and Abe do that very much. Part of your family. Guess what word Jesus used in this text? Kunadion. The dog, the puppy, the, the pet, the part of the family. Not kuon like you scavenger, you dog. Here's what Jesus was telling her. Listen, I'm here for the Jews. I'm here for the lost sheep of Israel. That's who I've come to heal and save. However, she knew exactly what he was referring to. And look at her statement in verse 28, her statement of faith in Jesus. Amazing. Here is a Gentile woman. Remember, Jesus came for the Jewish people, and the Jewish people had a problem believing in Jesus. And here's a, a pagan Canaanite woman who knows who Jesus is. And she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs, kunarion, under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon was gone. What was she saying to Jesus? Jesus, I know I'm not part of the covenant people. I know I am not part of the promise. But I'll take the scraps. 
I'll take the scraps. I believe in you. I know who you are. I've heard what you've done. I'll just take whatever's left. I believe we see three areas of, of strong faith that this woman shows here. Our first area of strong faith for this woman is this. One, she was informed. Again, we have to go back to Matthew, Matthew's camera angle on this story. Matthew uses the word, she identified him as, O Lord, son of David. She knew who Jesus was. She heard the stories. She read the prophecies. To call Jesus son of David, you have to know a little bit about who Jesus is to give him that title. She was informed. She knew she wasn't part of the family of Israel, but she knew and believed what Jesus could do based on what she seen and heard and what she read. She was informed. It sounds like many, many Christians today were informed about who Jesus is. The world, you ask nine times out of ten, you ask someone here who just walked down the street in Violent or Millville, hey, do you know, yeah, I know Jesus, yeah, he died on the cross, blah, blah. They, they're informed of who Jesus is, but they really believe who Jesus is. We can be informed about a lot of things, but do you really know? This woman here knew who Jesus was, and she had that faith. Number two, verse 26, she begged him. This word here, if you have a New King James Version or a New American Standard, it's, it's, it's that idea of keep asking. You'll see that in your versions. Keep begged. All right, so where are my young people here today? So a couple weeks, there's Christmas time. No doubt you're begging your parents. Dad, I want, Mom, I want this. I want this, please. My kids are doing the same thing. They want a kunadion. That's what they want. And it ain't going to happen. I know, oh, that's a shame, sorry. You beg your parents, please, please. This is the idea. This woman here was pleading and begging with, for, for Jesus to heal her daughter. Please, please, please. That's where she's at. She was persistent in her asking. Number three, we see her faith shows that she was humble. She was humble. See, this statement here that she said to the Lord, yes, Lord, son of David, Matthew's account, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She knew her standing in culture with the Jews. And she did not care. She wanted her daughter healed. She knew Jesus could heal her daughter. And she threw all that away to come to Jesus. She was humble. She was humble. See, it seems like this it illustrates to us that even though the Jews are God's people, and he came for the Jews, that the gospel and hope would spread beyond the nation of Israel to the Gentiles. Paul even said it this way in Ephesians 3, 6. He said this, this mystery, the unknown, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. It's a mystery that the Gentiles receive this promise. But Jesus was showing us through his earthly ministry, he cared for all. He was the Jesus of all people. Aren't you glad for that? So as we think about, as we come to the, 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 the Syrophoenician woman, we, we read this account. You say, okay, it's just another story. Jesus healed his daughter, blah, 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 great. But we're learning a lesson here from this woman, this, this, this pagan Canaanite the Gentile. 
that she was persistent. And I want us to apply something in our lives today, and it's the area of our prayer life. Brothers and sisters, we need to be persistent in our prayer. Persistency in prayer. We see this woman begging Jesus for healing. See, persistency is an indispensable quality of prayer that God answers. We see Jesus sharing these stories in Luke 18 with the, with the widow who was persisting to the judge to receive justice in her situation. And we also see in Luke chapter 11 of the persistency of the neighbor. Remember that story where a neighbor had some friends come visit late at night. He went to his neighbor's house and knocked on the door for food. And they were like, get out of here. It's too late. Go away. Go away. Go away. But he kept knocking and knocking. And finally, his neighbor gave him food. However, we must warn each other here this morning. Persistency cannot be used to limit God to a frame of our own thinking. If I would ask a question this morning, many of us, if you look at your prayer list, there are people, there are things you're praying for and God has not answered. How many of us, if I was asked for a show of hand, just want to give up? God, God's not answering. He doesn't care. I'm, I'm done praying. We can't think that way from a human perspective because we are not God. God is sovereign in control of all. He will do his will according to his plan. Well, we see Jesus experiencing the answer no in Luke chapter 22, the Garden of Gethsemane. We use this text a lot when it comes to seeing an answer of no in prayer. Jesus says to his father, Father, if, it, you, be, if, if you could take this cup from me, please take it. Here's Jesus and his humanity. This is where his humanity and his divinity collide. You see his hum human emotion of God. I, I, father, I, I can't do this. The, Roman crucifixion was not a surprise to the Jews. They seen it most likely on a weekly, maybe a daily basis. What was, what was the selling point of a crucifixion for the Roman government? It was to humiliate people. So as, as the Jews and the Romans were walking through the city streets, they would see people hanging on crosses, being humiliated. Jesus knew this from actually just being a human, being here living amongst the Romans. But in his divinity, he knew what a crucifixion was. And here is Jesus saying, Father, please take this cup from me. Sweating drops of blood. But then we see in that text in Luke 22, however, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus remembers his purpose and his divinity of why he is here to come and die for the sins of humanity. Aren't you glad that that prayer was not answered? Aren't we glad that prayer was not answered? We see Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. Paul says this, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Now, there's theological debate of what that is. Some believe it was an ailment like eyesight that he couldn't see. Others believe, you read, that it was like a, there were teachers or, or individuals that were always attacking him. Whatever it was, one of those two things, the bottom line is this, the Lord did not take it from him. But look at verse 9. But he said to me, God, so Jesus saying to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. No matter what God's answer is, yes, no, not now, understand this, believers. 
God will give you what you need. He will give you the grace you need to be strong in your weakness, to be patient in your waiting, and to even be confident in your worry that God has this under control. See, this Gentile's persistency gives us great lesson. Brothers and sisters, we continue to knock the doors of heaven down in our prayer. Don't give up on praying. God hears you, but we have to understand God is sovereign and God has a plan, and we rest in that. Amen, church? We rest in that, but be persistency. We see persistency through the pages of scripture of people calling out to God. Let's follow their example because God wants to hear our prayer and he has a plan for our life. Let's move on to verse 31. Now we run into another individual that Jesus bumps into. Verse 31, he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, the region of the Decapolis. Now, the Decapolis is a 10 city. Deca is 10. I didn't do good in math, but I understand that. Decapolis is a 10 city region. And it was Rome-influenced. So every city was a Rome away from Rome. Okay? Uh, there's ten cities. They, they were all Roman-influenced, Roman culture, Roman religion. Boom. When you went to one city, it just is what it is. It was Rome. Look at verse 32. And they brought to him a man. Jesus didn't go to a man. They brought this guy to Jesus who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hands on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers in his ear, and after spitting, touched his tongue. Are you reading that with me this morning? And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephetha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. This man was healed. Now I can see some of your faces when we're reading that. Ew, that's disgusting. That, 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 keep your distance. That's gross. I mean, if, if Jesus did that today, they, they, they call the health department on him. They'd be shutting down his ministry real fast. As I was reading this this week, I, I was I, something kind of I was perplexed. So we come from the story of the Syrophoenician woman, where Jesus, because of this woman's faith, heals her daughter from a distance. Jesus didn't see this daughter; she was not around. He told the woman, "Go home. Your daughter's well." Here, Jesus did something different, didn't he? He stuck his fingers in his ear, spit on his finger, and touched his tongue. There was something about this healing. I believe Jesus wants to get across in the area of ministry, and that's the, that's the area of personal touch. Personal touch. Now, now, I'm not telling us that we need to go around spitting on fingers and touching people in the forehead. Okay, that's not what I'm saying this morning. This man could not hear, he could not speak. And Jesus personally, spending time physically touching him, must have brought so much faith and encouragement to this man. Understand, in this culture, individuals with disabilities like this were outcasts. People stayed away from folks like this. Okay, we, we have to get culturally in our mind. Okay, why is this such a big deal? Why was it important that Jesus touched him? Because no one touched this guy. Everyone stayed away from this guy. In fact, most likely when he was born, he found that his deficiency, they put him in the street, hey, listen, go get us money, beg for money, sitting on the city corner, begging for money. Probably never had a job because he couldn't hear, he couldn't talk. 
He was an outcast. And here's Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, taking time to personally heal him. That meant something. Think about our own life in the area of ministry and serving one another. I love technology. I, I, you know, texting and, and, and social media, it's great. And I, I, my birthday was Wednesday. I got a lot of happy birthday wishes, and I thank you very much. I'm officially old, not really close getting there. And I appreciate that. Thank you. But you know what was a personal touch? When I get a call from my mom and dad, who just sing happy birthday to me for the last 49 years of my life. But why? My brother called me, leaving an obnoxious phone message. That's just personal. Why? Because they're family. It's special. They took time. They just didn't send me a text. Now listen, I don't want 200 phone messages next year for my birthday. That's not what I'm saying. It's a personal touch. Being with a person, sitting with a person who is in need, helping a person face-to-face does something more than just shooting them a text. It's okay. There's times in ministry, though, that we need face-to-face action and ministering one another. I, I think of our dear friend, Jay Monnier, who went home to be with the Lord on Wednesday. Jay uh, was a, a, a godly man who loved Jesus and, and up to a year ago would find his way in his walker and sit right over here. Because um, he had ALS, for those that don't know Jay, and, and just, uh, he was homebound for a year, but he was a, if anyone complains about not going to church because you don't feel well, I say Jay Monnier. Go talk to Jay. Amen, folks? Because he made his way here every week. And I remember Jay giving me a call a couple weeks ago. He says, Pastor Jay, can you come out and just see me? I want to see you. I mean, I haven't been told that in a while. I want to just, I want to talk to you face to face. Because we would be communicating text and email and things. And Judy would go, go take meals and his, her, her famous chocolate chip cookies, which he loved. I said, yeah, Jay, I'm coming out. And I hopped on my motorcycle because he loved I'd pull up with my motorcycle. And he goes, I love the sound of that Harley. And I'd rev it a little bit so he could hear it. And I told Jay, I said, Jay, I said, yeah, I can work it out. I mean, we could strap you to the back of my sissy bar. We could give you a ride. And he was like, he laughed, you know. He laughed in the way he laughed. But what did Jay want? He wanted personal touch. And there's times in ministry we just, we need to have personal touch with people. Uh, Pastor Frank and I, in the area of our chaplaincy with the violent police department, there's times we go on a call, and there's, we don't know these people from Adam. We, we don't know who they are. But just sitting with them and putting our arm around, there's something about personal touch that does something for the soul. And so as I share this illustration about Jay, who is it in our life that needs a personal touch? Not a text. They're nice. That's great. I'm not saying never text or email. Or, but who, you need, who is it that you need to go visit and just sit with and talk with? It does wonders for the soul. And Jesus here is showing this, this man who people stayed away from, this man that people didn't want to be around. And he goes up and he heals him by touching him, by spitting on his finger and touching his tongue. Man, that says something. That says something. Who we have personal touch with this week? An individual we just need to go and just visit and love on and care on. Verse 36 And Jesus charged them to tell no one. (laughs) Yeah, you see this. (laughs) Okay, now don't tell anybody. But the more that he charged them, the more zealous, the more emphatic, excited they were. I'm going to tell. What are you talking about? And they were astonished beyond measure. 
Their minds were blown at what they just seen. Saying this, he has done all things well. Even, he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. I want us to understand there, that, that phrase there, it's not talking about one person. They're proclaiming he heals the deaf, that group of people, and he heals those who can't speak. He heals both groups of people, expanding his personal touch of what he can do. Listen, people are coming all over to see this Jesus. They've seen this just happen. And he's here to heal the lost sheep of Israel. However, as we see in the life of Jesus, he touched those that were Gentiles because they believed. He was setting a precedent for the cross. This is what our Jesus did. So as we conclude this morning, the two characters, the Syrophoenician woman, the Canaanite, the pagan, the Gentile, who most likely prayed to her pagan gods, who tried every remedy there was to try to get this unclean spirit out of her daughter. But she took a risk, she took a chance of all the cultural taboos about this and tried to talk to a guy by the name of Jesus. And he healed her daughter. Or our deaf and mute friend who cultural, culture, culturally looked at him as an outcast. And we can see it in John chapter 9. We've seen the blind man. When Jesus healed the blind man, what did the disciples say? Hey, Jesus, who sinned, him or his parents? And what did Jesus say? None. He's blind for this moment right here where God's glory is going to be revealed. Even the disciples fell into the cultural narrative when they seen people who were disabled. And here is this man who received a personal touch, a personal healing from the Messiah. See, what these two people have found was satisfaction in the well of Jesus Christ. They both had an encounter with Jesus, and they were satisfied. For those who are here today that know Jesus, we've put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We're saved, we're going to heaven, we're at church, we do all these things, but are you truly satisfied in Jesus? There's things that we continue to still chase down for satisfaction, and they will lead to nothing. Education, jobs, relationships, the list can go on. Does Jesus truly satisfy you, us, as Christians? Or are we still trying to be satisfied in life? For these two individuals, they found satisfaction in Jesus. For those here that, that don't know Jesus, you know that he wants to give you purpose. He wants to give you peace. And he provided a way through his son Jesus who gave his life on the cross for our sins. And we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We receive a peace and a joy and a purpose that no one else could give us. And his name is Jesus. He is the Jesus of all people. And maybe you're here today or you're watching online. There's a reason why you're listening. There's a reason why you're here today. God's calling you. The well of satisfaction is right before you, and you just have to receive it. His name is Jesus. Maybe you're at work and conversation turns to God, or there's Jesus conversation happening, or you see something on the ground that directs you to think about God. Guess what? That's not a coincidence. That's God drawing you to himself. Don't ignore it. These two individuals pursued Jesus, and they left satisfied. Jesus 
is all we need to be satisfied, brothers and sisters. For those that are Christians here, understand that. For those that don't know Jesus, listen, he's calling you. Trust him today. You will be satisfied in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the time we have together. Lord, thank you so much, Lord, for just this story. Lord, allow us as, as, as a people, as, as your people, to, when we read these stories, to not, they're just not cute stories, but we glean truth and application of how we need to live our lives as Christians, following the way of the Master, and that is you. Allow us to take what we learned this morning and be persistent in our prayer. Get that prayer list out and continue to knock on the heaven's door on the things we've been praying for years, knowing that you hear us and in your time you will answer. And Lord, allow us this week to have personal touch with someone. Someone who, who, who needs just a face-to-face conversation, just a personal touch. You direct us to someone this week. We love you. Thank you so much for this day. And we ask this in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. Okay, so what we're going to do now is we have some, some work to do. So as you know, if our